what would it be like to walk into another world? The girl on the movie clip, Lucy, she entered into the wardrobe and she walked into another world, another reality. She walked into Narnia. Now, the fact of the matter is, every morning that you and I wake up and we walk into our own wardrobe, we walk into another world. We walk into another reality. You and I put on our work clothes. We put on our school clothes. And we step out of the life of our house and we walk into what we call the real world. Now, perhaps the summertime we can kind of grasp what I'm talking about a little bit better. Summertime is a time of vacation. You enter into a world that requires no shoes, a world of sandy beaches, a world where the wind would just briskly run through your hair, as if I still had any, it would, right? The warmth of the 2 p.m. sun, it relaxes your soul. At night, the moon is shining brightly. There's a calm in the air, and the waitress comes, and she places something beautiful right in front of you. Butter dripping, mouth-watering, grilled Angus ribeye. Something that would just make you slap your mama and your daddy and your grandmama. It's that good. It's got house marinade. It's got roast garlic mashed potatoes, seared onions, portobello mushrooms, Man, at that moment, you've stepped not just into another world, but you have stepped into heaven, amen? And then you wake up the next morning, and you're in reality. You're in your condo, and you realize, man, it's the last day of my trip. You get in your minivan, you get your Starbucks, and you head on home, and you say to yourself, or you just say to someone uh, that you're with, what? Man, I am so not ready to go back to the real world tomorrow. Today we're starting a brand new series called Alternate Reality, Life by the Spirit. You see, we live in a world where there are some things that are more real than what really is real. Okay, stay with me. Some things are more real than the things that are real. For example, if you go home today and you have this French bread at your home and you want to put it in the oven, get it all warm and ready... And then you put a Netflix video and you're ready to watch it. And then you remember, man, I'm trying to watch my cholesterol. You don't need real butter. You can have the alternate reality, such as what you'll see on the screen. I wanted to remember the love they shared for butter, but cholesterol took away their passion until... I can't believe it's not butter. I can't believe it's not butter. The taste you love without the cholesterol. What a work of art. You don't even need butter. I can't believe it's not butter. We live in a world where the, 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 the real isn't even needed. I can't believe it's not butter. It's more real than the butter. I can't believe it's not butter spray. That's even a more better one. Now, some of y'all are going to find this out when you go to lunch. You're going to put Splenda in your tea. You don't even need sugar. It's better than the real thing. We know that some relationships, we don't need real relationships with our neighbors. We've got reality TV. See if you can name these guys and girls on the screen. All right, who is this? Brad and Angelina. All right, who's the next couple? William and Kate. You know them on a first-name basis. Who's next? Kim, and what's the uh, guy's name? 
Chris. All right, Chris Humphreys, not as well known. Who we got here? Come on. Y'all have got to know this one. Y'all are fakers. Come on, who is this? You know who that is. Yes, Ashley and Bentley. Come on now, don't hide that you watch The Bachelorette. All right, who's, uh, who's the next one? I think we got one more maybe. Teenagers. Everybody knows Justin and Selena. We're on a first-name basis with these people. We don't need real relationships. They're better than the real thing. I think that's it, yeah. Better than the real thing, these relationships. But it's not just about sugar and butter and people that we love to watch on TV. This alternate reality stuff that we're kind of talking about better than the real thing, it, it goes so deep into what we believe. We live in a world with 6,000 different religions. You could call them 6,000 worldviews or 6,000, to use our terminology of the day, 6,000 alternate ways to view reality. All 6,000 religions have a way to view reality. I wish we could go into it, but we don't have time. And the problem and the danger is this. With all of those alternate realities, all of those views on how to see the world, how to see God, how to see life and sin and the afterlife, Christianity, which we believe and profess to be the truth, gets lost in the mix. My dad gave me a book a while back ago, and it's titled, 50 things that should change the world. In one of the chapters, it proclaimed, which we all believe, that the cross of Jesus Christ should change the world. Well, in this chapter, it said that the cross of Jesus is no longer a recognized symbol in our day and age. In fact, it listed a study. 7,000 people conducted in six different countries could not identify the cross as greatly as they could identify three popular symbols. The Shell Oil logo, Mercedes-Benz badge, and the five rings of the, of the Olympics. 81% of participants could name and recognize all three of those symbols. Only 54% could recognize what the cross meant, what it was about. Now, two of those countries will let off the hook. They don't have much of history with Christianity, Japan, and India. Four of those countries should know better. Number one, the United States of America. They're all Western. These uh, last four are Western nations. The U.S., Britain, Germany, and Australia. 54% only can recognize that the cross is Jesus, that he shed his blood for the world. What has happened to the cross? It is now in our day because of all the other worldviews, alternate realities, it has become a matter of fashion and not a matter of faith. You look, at, you look at Hollywood designers, and when they dress their celebrities and they send them down the red carpet, they put around their neck a diamond-encrusted crucifix, and they don't give one thought to the red blood that was around the neck of the Savior of the world. When you and I are in this world, we have got to become aware and observant of what is going on. See, we live in the world, but if we are not careful, the world will live deeply in us. The big idea for this message today is we are to be in the world, not of it, but we can't stop there. We have to transform the world, influence the world. And I'm asking myself, why? What is so bad about the world? I have become so desensitized to the evil 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the God of this world is Satan, and I don't even recognize it when he's staring me in the face. I'm desensitized to it. In 1 John chapter 2, 15, verse 17, God gives us why we are in the world, but we must not be of it. Let's see if that's up on the screen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so I'm asking myself, why is this so bad? There's a lot of scripture in the, in, the, in the Bible that says don't love the world, but why a paragraph right here? Why would God put such an emphasis to don't be in grasp about the things of the world? When I think about it, two images come to my mind that represent everything that this world lives for. I don't have these on the screen. Arnold and Angelina. You can find everything that we believe in the world to be wrapped up in Arnold Schwarzenegger and Angelina Jolie. What do they represent? They represent four things that we live for in the world. Fame, money, power, and sex. Let's talk about fame. Now, you and I may not be uh, just dying to go after celebrity status. We may not want the paparazzi around us everywhere we go. But most of us are kind of interested in celebrity gossip. We like to keep up with some of the people that we saw on the screen. And when it boils down to it, fame is not simply about just being known, about being famous. The root of it is image. We live in a world that is obsessed with image. One guy named J.P. Moreland, who I will refer to several times today, uh, who has a great grasp on what we're talking about, he says this. He says that today we are so obsessed with image that we no longer want character, we want a flat stomach. We no longer want substance and depth, depth, we want image and personality. He goes on to say that even in the, polit- in, in, the, uh, in the politic world, the makeup man is more important than the speechwriter. We are that obsessed with image. Money. God says, Jesus says you can't love both God and money. But we're obsessed with it. The Bible says that it can produce evil in our lives. We don't believe it, because if we did, we would spend and save differently. I would. But we are obsessed with money in our world. What would you do for money? We would do almost, most of us would do almost anything for money. Have you heard of a guy named Hans, uh, see if I can pronounce his name right, Hans Kubis? 58-year-old German man who in the year 2010 got caught in a New Zealand airport, get this, for harboring 44 lizards and geckos in his underwear. I don't know if y'all heard about this guy. I, uh, I heard a story about him. I checked it out online yesterday, found out it's a true story. It's all over Google if you go and look it up. 44 gecko lizards in his britches. Now, the guy that I heard the story from, I agree with him. And he said this, can you imagine how hard would it have been for this guy to go through customs? I mean, can you imagine? Okay, John, Hugh told us to loosen up a little bit, so I'm about to embarrass myself. Can you imagine this guy going through customs with 44 lizards in his underpants? I mean, he, would, he, he just had to been like, hey, man, you know, and going through customs, sir, you're going to have to take off your shoes. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. Here, I'll take them off. Uh, sir, you're going to have to take off your iPod. So he's acting like, no, I got my iPod. That's why I'm moving around. I'm dancing. That's up. 
takes off his iPod. Man, he's still squirming. I mean, he could not have been difficult to catch this guy. 58-year-old man, 44 lizards in his underoos. Unbelievable. You know what they came out? They found out that this guy was hunting and he was trading wildlife without a permit, without any authority. They dug a little deeper when they caught him and they arrested him. And they found out he was selling these geckos on the black market. 44 geckos. He was selling each one for the price of $2,800. He would do anything for money. 44 lizards. That's $123,200 of quick cash. Anything for money. That's what he did. Now, what will you and I do for money? One preacher said that some people will do so much for money that they'll rob God. The book of Malachi. They'll keep money in their pocket and not give a tithe. I don't know what we all do for money. But the question is, is the world inside our pocketbook? Is the world inside our heart? Or is the cross of Jesus a sacrificial giving in our pocketbook and in our heart? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit or are we filled with the world? We're also obsessed with power. Power, this, you see this in relationships, you see this in universities, politics. It's about control, it's about domination. And the sickest thing is when we have political plays in the church. And then finally we have sex. You go to the Kroger, you're at the checkout aisle. You cannot go through the checkout aisle with, without seeing a female having her body exploited on the cover of a magazine. You just can't go do it. It dominates the dating scene. It has become all about sex. Junior high schoolers are going and they're grind dancing on school campuses. It is defining and raising our teenagers. In 2010, a popular singer by the name of Katy Perry came out with a song, and it was in the top downloaded iTunes songs for quite some time. The song, you may have heard of it, Teenage Dream. Do you know what the main chorus is in that song? Let's go all the way tonight. Teenage girls are singing that song by heart, lyric for lyric, yet they can't tell you the Ten Commandments found in the book of Exodus. Sex is raising our teenagers, and God is taking it seriously. Another girl, Kesha. Believe it or not, I checked this yesterday. She has the top downloaded song on iTunes of all time. TikTok is the name of the song. Do you know what one of the choruses says? you know what the song is about? It is about partying all night. Don't laugh. She says this. It is about getting crunk and letting boys touch my junk. Why does God say in 1 John, do not love the world? Because the world is full of junk. The world is full of evil, and we don't even see it. We are to live in the world, not of it. We cannot stop there. We must transform the world. We must penetrate the world and infiltrate the world. It is not enough just to avoid the things of this world. It's not enough to just be good boys and good girls, and we don't do this, and we don't do that, and we get legalistic. We can't avoid it. Non-Christians can avoid the things of the world and still not be transformed by the Holy Spirit. 
still not do anything to make an influence or an impact on the world. We can't just avoid it. We must influence the world and make an impact. We must bring our alternate reality. Our alternate reality is this. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ. We love Jesus. We serve others. We're not about ourselves. That's the alternate reality that we live in. But we can't keep it to ourselves. We have got to bring our reality, the truth of the Scriptures, into the public square. I want to propose to you today that we cannot run from the world and point out everything that is wrong with it. We must run smack dab into the world and point out everything that is right with Jesus Christ, everything that is right about the Holy Spirit, everything that is true in this world. It does us no good to avoid and run away and point fingers. We must point the finger to Jesus and bring him right into the center of the media, into the center of politics, into the center of the university. We can't run. We can't hide. The alternate reality that we live in is Jesus Christ. What is the major influences in society today? A guy named J.P. Moreland says that it is, number one, the university, it is media, it is the government. So we have to ask, where is the church? Are we the main thinkers? Who is producing the main thinkers? We're going to change the world. We've got to outdie the world. And what I mean is this, we have to have a crucified heart. You see, we have gotten into a world where we says we say we have got to make the Bible relevant to the world. And the point is, we have to make the world relevant to the Bible because this is the truth. Jesus says in Mark 8.36, and that will come up on the screen. Mark 8.36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Galatians 6.14, Paul would go on and he would say this, The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is my only reason for bragging. Through the cross of Jesus, my world was crucified, and I, what, died to the world. We have must die to the world, die to the sins of the world. Remember what we said. We said that the things that the world lives for are what? The four things. Fame, money, power, and sex. If we're going to make an impact and influence the world, we can't live for these things. We must die to these things. And so Colossians 3, 3, 5, and 6 would go on to say this. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 5 says, Therefore put to death what is worldly in you, your sexual sin, perversion, passion, lust, and greed, which is the same thing as worshiping wealth. That goes back to money. It is because of these things that God's anger comes on those who refuse to obey him. And then finally, Romans would go on to say, and I don't know if that's going to appear on the screen, but Romans chapter 6, 7 through 14 would go on to say, you have died to sin, and now you are alive to Christ. And so what is this saying? This is saying that we must have a crucified heart. You know what happened when Jesus died? He offered his life to the world. When you and I die to sin, 
It is the only way to offer Jesus' life to the world. Media, politics, government, nobody can offer the life of Jesus to the world. Only the, the Christian church. When we die to all of these things in the world, we have a crucified heart. We can't stop there, though. We must have a crucified mind. And here's what I want to say to us today. We must outthink the world. Not only must we outdie and die to all the things the world lives for, we must outthink the world, have a crucified mind. There are 648 million evangelical and Bible-believing Christians in the world. 83 million Bibles are distributed globally every single year. Over 6 million Christian books are in print today. And then you have countless of people spending their lives in overseas missions, evangelizing the unevangelized, even evangelizing those who have heard. We ought to be turning the world upside down. But if you look at our numbers, and then you look at the impact that we're making on the world, it's not proportionate at all. In fact, when Christianity is mentioned in the public square, we're either ignored or misrepresented. In fact, you could say this. Society looks at the church, and they say, as long as you stay in your little corner and be quiet, you won't cause a problem for anybody. So why don't you just sit over here and hush-hush? And so what we have done is this, major tragedy. It's our downfall. We have become politically correct instead of theologically correct. Amen to that. We've got to get into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what Paul says? He steps into our world just like he stepped into the Roman Christian church in Romans 12, 1 through 2. When I had a little, um, a little, uh, a, a little uh, what do they call it, geriatric moment or whatever, I forgot my, my, my words. He stepped into that Roman church with Romans. By the way, y'all are so forgiving. Thank you. <laughs> Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is what he said. I appeal to you, therefore, appealing to them. He is urging them, begging them. See, he knows something. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, as I said it earlier, Satan is the God of this world, and he sees something. I am urging you, begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Man, I wish we had time to go into all the mercies of God. If you want to know what they are in the book of Romans, go read chapters 1 through 11. Justified with Christ, possessors of the Holy Spirit, sanctified in Jesus, dead to sin, no condemnation in Christ, and the list goes on. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I want to look at spiritual worship just for a moment. Now, when I first read spiritual worship, I'm like, oh, that's great. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. We, we offer our hearts. It's, a, it's a, a heart-filled experience. But I looked up the word. It is the Greek word logikos, logikos, and it means intelligent. We are offering to God intelligent worship. I'm not talking about a high IQ. Anybody with a, um, a, a little education, just not much of an education at all, can offer to God intelligent worship. Why? Because they relate to God in viewing all of his mercies. They say, God, what you have done for me in Jesus, what you have done for me and in me by your Holy Spirit, I am offering you a rational, a reasonable worship. I can think about you, God, 
and I can offer you to the world, not just with my heart only, but my mind. It's a rational, reasonable worship. Do you know what happens when we don't think about God? You may find some of these characteristics in your own life, and I do too. Because when we don't think about God, we literally have the mind of Satan. Romans chapter 1 says this. This is what happens when you don't think about God. I think this can appear on the screen. Romans chapter 1, if it doesn't, I can read it. Yeah, there it is. Since these people refuse to even think about God, there it is. We're talking about a crucified mind. He let their useless minds rule over them. That's why they do all sorts of indecent things. And it goes on to say, they are evil, wicked, greedy, as well as mean in every possible way. They want what others have. They murder, argue, cheat, or hard to get along with. Now you say, well, I don't do any of those. They gossip. All right, who, who, who do we get there? I mean, I'll go ahead and raise my hand right now. These are people who do not think about God, and they are listed in the same category as those who say cruel things about others and literally hate God. When you and I gossip, you cannot, I cannot think about Jesus Christ. We are not thinking about God. We have not crucified our mind over to him, and we are not outthinking the world. We have become conformed to the world. They are proud, conceited, boastful, always thinking up new ways to do evil. These people don't respect their parents, teenagers. It says they don't obey their parents. They are stupid, unreliable, don't have any love or pity for others. They know God has said that anyone who acts this way deserves to die, but they keep on doing evil things. And they even encourage others to do them. And so Paul goes on in Romans 12, verse 2, and he says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Who is the one that does that? It's the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, 5. He transforms our mind. He says, do not be conformed to this world. It's like a submarine going underwater. And once that water gets in it, the alarm goes off. And literally in the Greek, Paul is saying, you are becoming conformed to this world. Stop it. But he, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you know that in the world today, most people that are non-Christian think that we are stupid? Atheists and agnostics will say that Christians are stupid, dumb, intolerant, and just a bunch of bigots. J.P. Moreland, if you remember, I mentioned him, him earlier. He has uh, found out that there is one American politician who wrote, Christians are dumb ignorant and easy to lead. Now, how could a politician who wants to be reelected get away writing that, knowing it's going to be made to the public eye and not just be blasted for it? He must know what the public knows, that Christians aren't leading society, that we're not using our minds to influence the world, to make an impact Who is leading society? Who is leading culture? Who's the main influencers? Who are the main thinkers? In fact, who is outthinking the church of Jesus Christ? Well, I mentioned it earlier. Number one, it is the university. Number two, it is the media. And number three, it is government. Just real quickly, I want to look at the university and how they are impacting the world. 
There's a world-renowned apologist also. He's a youth minister. His name is Brett Kunkel. He has done some uh, studies on how the university has influenced the world. And he found this out. In year 2006, one-fourth of all university professors were either atheist or agnostic. The Jewish and community research he found out says that half of U.S. college faculty have an unfavored feeling towards evangel- uh, evangelical Christians. Student, a student survey alliance um, showed that uh, atheist student groups are doubling each year at U.S. colleges. These are the worlds that we are sending our teenagers to. So the question has to be asked, are our teenagers prepared to go and be influencers in that world? Or are they going to be conformed to the world that they're going to? Can they think critically about Jesus and all the things that they're going to be facing? A book came out called Soul Searching. It's about Christianity and teenagers today. It said 70% of our young people walk away from the faith because of what is called intellectual skepticism. In other words, they've been brought up in the church and been been brought up to believe that Jesus is reality. But once they get to college, they hear all of these other world religions, they no longer know what to believe about Jesus. Is he true? Is he real? I don't know what to believe. And so they begin to be skeptics and they begin to doubt and they begin to stop believing in God. 70%. G.K. Chesterton said... Once a person stops believing in God, the problem is not that he will believe nothing. The problem is that he or she will believe anything. Church, we are in a war, uh, a war for the mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says that we are in spiritual warfare. But you know what it says? It says we're not battling the flesh. It says that we are battling, get this, arguments and opinions raised up against the knowledge of God. And so when the world comes to us and they say, tell me about this Jesus, I want to hear some some articulate thoughts about him. Let's have a discussion. Most of the church says, well, I can't talk about him, but I'll sing a song. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. This is how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That's a great song, and we need a crucified heart, but the world is saying, tell me about him. Tell me something intelligent. Let's be rational and reasonable about this God you say you believe. We cannot simply say, I just believe Jesus in my heart, because the world will come and say to us, well, that's just a feeling. Can you tell me more? C.S. Lewis goes on to say that Christ wants from us a heart of a child, but a mind of a grown-up. We have got to start thinking critically. This is not about having a high IQ. Paul is not saying that you need to become an academic, but I want to say what could be worse. There's nothing wrong with being an academic about the things of God. But Paul is saying we have got to start thinking critically about what we wear, what we watch, how we spend our money, the things that we get involved in, the things that we are hearing. Jesus says in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, 
and with all your strength. When we don't offer and present ourselves to God with an intelligent worship, a crucified mind, we aren't fully Christian. We offer him our heart, soul, and strength, but we have no mind to offer the world. Nothing of value, nothing of substance, nothing of depth, just feelings, just emotion, just warmth. And we become what you call a three-fourths disciple, heart, soul, and strength, no mind. And Jesus didn't come to produce three-fourths of a disciple. Jesus didn't send his Holy Spirit to sanctify three-fourths of our life. He wants a full Christian a full reality to offer the world something to believe in, something to stand on. I believe Dennis Kinlaw, who wrote a book, it's a great devotional book, it's titled This Day with the Master. I believe he says it exactly right. He says, do you know what Western Christianity needs most today? Western Christianity does not need more Christians. We need Christians who are much more Christian than they already are. He goes on to tell a story when he grew up in the days of the Depression. He and his family didn't have a refrigerator, and so when they would have meat that they wanted to prepare and eat, they would put it in a smokehouse in their backyard. So one day they were having a couple of people over, and they wanted to prepare a ham, and he and his mom go out into their backyard. They go into the smokehouse, and they get this beautiful, delicious-looking ham, and they put it out, and they're ready to cut it. They cut it open, and he says, man, that is the worst smell I've ever had in my entire life, and it was full of maggots. Mmm. Y'all ready for lunch? Let's go. It was full of maggots. His mom looked at him, and she said, son, not enough salt. I'm wondering if the father looks at the son in heaven in concern for our world, and says, Son, not enough salt. I wonder if the father looks at his son as they look at us at Bellwether, see the potential that we have for full-hearted, devoted-minded, thinking Christians, and says, Son, not enough salt. Jesus says in Matthew 5.13, what? You are the salt of the earth. We have lost our saltiness, and the world is trampling all over us because we have nothing to offer them worth of substance, and we have become a joke. We need more salt. We need to be conformed by the renewing of our mind by the very Spirit of God. How do we be renewed by the Spirit of God? I just want to lay out some things really quickly and practically. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Present yourself to God. If we're going to do anything in the world, we must start with ourselves. Now, I don't know if you like to journal in your devotional time or what what you do, but somehow we need to get alone with God, alone with Jesus, face-to-face, and we need to ask him four categories of questions. Number one, we need to say, Christ, are you even in my life? What is my prayer life like? Am I praying the scriptures? Am I reading books that only warm my heart, or am I reading books that sharpen my mind, stimulate me intellectually towards the things of God? 
Am I meeting with a small group of people that sharpen my mind, develop me intellectually, to think through critically on issues of life that are affecting this generation and the generation to come? We need to think about what is it that we care about? God, what is it that I truly care about? Do I care about how people see me? What are my priorities in life? Am I seeking to serve myself? Do I put others first? We need to think about what consumes our mind. Do I live to play? Do I live to shop? Do I live to work? Am I about the next TV show? How much time do I spend on Facebook? Why am I so busy? Why do I not have any time to stop and think and reflect on the things of God? And then we need to ask ourselves, what are some certain issues that we can get involved with to start being an influence in this world, to be salt? I don't know. Ask God, present yourself to him, and ask him, God, what are some certain issues that I can get involved with? I don't know whether it's the war on abortion. I don't know if it's racial, racial reconciliation. Perhaps it's the sex trade that goes on. Perhaps it's just something in your own child's school, the media, getting something done in the newspaper, the arts, whatever it is. Ask God, where can I be an influence? Who are some people I can get together with that we can critically talk about some things and figure out how can we be a movement in this world? We need to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, transformed mind. In closing, I want to enter in one more alternate reality by looking at a guy named Peter. If you are familiar with the gaming world, you can go into alternate realities through things called avatars. So avatar, uh, our P, uh, Peter is going to be our avatar, okay? Mark eight thirty three. Jesus literally calls Peter Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In short, Peter didn't have a crucified heart. He wasn't dying to the things of the world. In fact, he wanted to gain the world. He didn't have a crucified mind. He wasn't thinking like God. He was thinking like Satan. And so Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus had just said, I got to go to the cross. I got to suffer. I got to die. Peter had other plans. He wanted to gain the world. So did all the other disciples. And so you know what happened? They had nothing to offer the world. They had no influence, no impact. That was in Mark 8. If you look at the rest of Mark's gospel, the rest of the eight chapters... These guys spent three years with Jesus Christ with no influence, nothing. All they did was they fought with one another. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit on Jesus' left? Who's going to sit on his right? They didn't love one another. They didn't love other people. I don't know if we could even say they didn't even love Jesus. I don't know. They didn't follow him to his death. They didn't stand by someone that they loved. They had no power to heal. Mark chapter 3, he said, go heal. They couldn't do it. Why? Because they had no mind and no heart. They wanted to gain the world. But the good news is this. The Holy Spirit came to renew them. The Holy Spirit said, I have an alternate reality for you to live in. And what did they do? They offered their mind and their heart to God. And the Holy Spirit helped them turn the world upside down. I don't know what kind of world you're living in. I don't know if it's an upside-down world. Maybe everything is just crumbled. I don't know if you have a world that everything's just going great. 
But Jesus wants to offer you something else to step into today. Lucy stepped into the wardrobe, and she entered into another world. The Holy Spirit comes and says, the door is open. There's a reality that you can live in. And there is a reality that you can bring in the world and offer them something that is true that will make a difference. Will you open the door and walk in? The band is going to come and play, and we're going to close out. I do appreciate your attention. Let's pray. Blessed Father, you are a God who has come into our world. You have stepped into our life. You have stepped into our mind, into our heart. And you said, I want more salt. You said, I want Christians who have a heart that is willing to die to the things of the world. I want Christians who are going to be willing to offer their minds intelligently, rationally, reasonably. And we give you praise that we can not only be in the world, but transform it. That's what we want for Bellwether. That's what we want for individuals that we come in contact with. So it's in Jesus Christ and his cross that we raise. He reigns with you now, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen.